thank you to everyone that has tuned in thus far and has helped make 52 Weeks of Hustle such a success. I've had such a great time sitting down with industry leaders. Thank you to the leaders and for all the listeners and your continued support. I'm excited to have joined General Sports Worldwide, where Lou DePauli and I will be focusing on executive search and team consulting. Our services will range from recruiting, onboarding, training, development, business planning, consulting, and much more. We're really looking to be a full service agency for our clients to assist them in their return on investment and return on energy. Please let me know if you have any interest. In addition, thank you for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales, a playbook to be an elite in the sports business industry. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio versions. Be sure to check out 52weeksofhustle.com as well as to follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, or for those that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career growth, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. There's no denying that the sports business has a lot of ups and downs, both on the sports and business side. However, it's all about how you overcome them and ultimately learn and grow from struggles and challenges. I'm excited to have our next guest who will provide a ton of advice, one of the most well-respected and dynamic sports executives, Scott O'Neill. Scott, welcome to the show. It's so nice to be here with you. Uh, good to see your smiling face. Life is good. All is well. Perfect. Well, Scott, I'm certainly excited to dive into your illustrious career. And I know love, I know you love sharing your story and advice and to assist people with all walks in this business and life. And you've lived and breathed that and just recently released the book, Be Where Your Feet Are. We'll certainly dive into the content. But first, why'd you write the book? You know, it's, it's a bit of a sad story. Um, I was cruising along life. You know, you, you get into this business. I know you know this as well as I do. It's hectic. I mean, you're, you sacrifice a lot and you work a lot of nights and you, you grind quite a bit. Um, and it's fun and it's exhilarating, intoxicating. And I've just had one of those phases in life where everything was going well, which doesn't happen all the time. Life for me is like a, like a big roller coaster. And, um, but you know, everything with my family, my wife relationship was going great. My kids were kind of cruising along, doing well. I've got three daughters so that, you know, teenagers. So it's kind of an adventure typically. And, but everything was going well, physically, I was taking care of myself. Spiritually, I was doing well, work was going well. And then I got a call at, uh, you know, 11 o'clock at night that my best friend had taken his own life. And it literally shook me to the core. Like it shook into my soul. And I struggled quite a bit. I spoke at his funeral. Uh, I, I kept it together almost until then and then, then fell apart. And, um, and I began to write to heal. And what I, what I started writing were, were stories of, of overcoming adversity. And so that seemed to get me um, on solid footing. And I kept writing and writing and writing, almost like Forrest Gump. If you ever seen that movie, went yep. like run, run, run. I was right, right, right. And a lot of it was just gibberish just to get my head going. But, um, but if, if anybody out there that's listening has has had a time where they've had trouble getting out of bed in the morning or trouble getting to sleep at night, you know, I was I was fragile. I, I would hear something that would remind me of him. And I'd just burst into tears and just walk like, in the office. I'm out. It was a, a bit, bit of a mess. And uh, I had a dear friend of my wife's, uh, Randall Wright, who ended up co-writing the book with me, uh, coach me through it. 
and uh, we decided to publish. And and his 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 counsel, and he's published a dozen books or so, and really successful guy, wonderful soul. Is he said to me like, you know, hey, most CEOs don't write vulnerable books. And can you imagine that you could put "Be Where Your Feet Are" out on the shelves and you could impact one person? Like, would it be worth it? I said, absolutely, it'd be worth it. He said, what if you could impact two? I said, well, of course, I'd be, you know, I'd be. even better. And so that's what we went down that that journey and did it, and 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 so far so good. It's um, yeah. I knew my mom would like it. That's the one thing I knew for sure that she would she would be my biggest supporter, and she has been. Um, but I've gotten notes from perfect strangers. Uh, mostly, they hit me on LinkedIn or Twitter um, DM and. It's amazing. It's it, it's um, you know for, for for some people it seems to be the right message at the right time. It's a it's a complicated time, as you know, Travis. Like it's um, the world. I'll specifically speak to America. America is struggling. There's a, a mental health epidemic going on in this country, and um, and it was spurred by COVID and our isolation and our fear and our anxiety kind of ramped up and amped up. And, and now we've got to kind of figure out how to get there and be where your feet are tackles a lot of that type of thing. So it seems to be the right book at the right time for the right audience. No, absolutely. And we certainly appreciate, you know, the, the vulnerability to your point and, you know, explaining it, we're going to dive into a lot of the content and, you know, Scott, many times in this business, the question is asked, what is a work-life balance or, or how do I even have one? So early on in the book, you talk about the value and importance of being present, uh, you know, and, and this is hard to do in this business because there's always more emails to follow up or fire drills. So what's your advice to listeners on still being able to be extremely successful, both personally and professionally, but also being present at all times? Yeah, it's, it's a complicated question with a lot of layers that we tackle throughout the book. But but the first thing is just you have to understand what your WMI is, like what's most important to you. And once you understand, and you can do that personally, professionally, um, with relationships is kind of how I like to parse it out. Uh, but once you understand and you say, hey, my, my wife's most important thing in the world to me, then, you know, my kids are the most important thing in the world. Everybody says it. But when you write it down and then audit your calendar, you get you, you get a really different sense in terms of how you manage the world and how you manage your own world. Um, so that's the first thing is just identifying your WMI. And a good little tip before I move on is just if you go back and audit your calendar. So you go down and say, like, what are the three things that are most important to me at work? Then you audit your calendar and you, and you find that you know, 20% of your time is spent on the three things that matter most. Um, you know, I had this great executive coach, Brendan Bouchard, and, and, and he, he's done a ton of research. And, and he says that high performers spend 65% of their time on the three things that are most important at work. So high performers spend 65% of the time or more on the three things that are, are most important. And when I first did the audit, when I was working with him, I was at 23%. And I was like, okay, I need to retool. Same goes with family too. And so um, what's different about when you have children is you recognize really quickly that, that you don't have a lot of time. And I, I don't mean like the old adage, like, Oh, it goes fast. It does. But, but I mean, I mean, typically every day, you know, you wake up in the morning in our house, we call it the NCAA tournament in the morning. It's just survive in advance. Like get the girls like in one piece without all hell breaking loose. In the <laughs> cool. And, and anybody who's dad, um, knows that what that looks like um and then you're at work and they're like doing their thing and then they have cheerleading or basketball and you know homework and boyfriends which i definitely don't want to talk about and they have <laughs> you know all this stuff and then you know and you got game at night so how much time do you have an hour like so it's not about balance it's about like what do i do with that hour that i have with them like what does that dinner look like how am i going to program that dinner 
Are we going to eat while we're on our phones? Are we going to eat in front of the TV? Or are we going to eat in the dining room? Literally in the dining room, sit there and talk. Yep. And um, and I, I think that that you know, and then on the weekends, like, what is what is your what meaning are you creating? I mean, like meetings are. I mean, weekends are he- hectic for families. You know, kids got soccer practice and all this crazy stuff. And you're just trying to find, okay, how much time on the weekend? They want to see their friends. They want to sleep in, you know, blah, blah, blah. They want to watch TV. They want to veg out. They want to play a video game, whatever they want to do. But how much time am I getting? Am I getting an hour? Am I getting two hours on a weekend? And what am I doing with those two? Oh, that's, that's what I'm advocating for. Like find mo- meaningful moments and meaningful memories to create. And carve that time out and make it count. Because that's what matters. Being there, it doesn't matter. If your kid's, you know, running around, it's not that it's not important to be there. It's just like, it's, you know, you're just passing time. So I, I don't believe in balance. I really don't. I, I've never met a successful person that, that hasn't worked unreasonably hard. I have, I hope there is somebody and then I'm going to go do that in my next life. Yeah. Um, but I think you have to work unreasonably hard. And I think you have to make sure that when you're home, you're home. Um, I talk about this in the book a little bit, but you know, my, my, my wife's a good, she, she holds me accountable really effectively. And, um, you know, coming home after losses, I'm really emotional and I'm very competitive and I, I really struggle. And she, she let me know really early in our marriage. She's just like, Whoa, you know, this isn't going to work. I was like, what do you mean? Did you see what happened today? Yeah. I watched the game. Did you hear us get booed? Yep. No, I heard us get booed. Everyone can hear you get booed. Even from the house. Even <laughs> the TV on. Right. She's like, but this isn't going to work. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you and your attitude. It's like, I need, I need my husband. You know, the girls need their father. And it's, it's a really good lesson early on in my marriage just to understand like, okay, how I show up, you know, the energy I bring in, how, how am I going to transfer the, the energy, anxiety, angst, competitiveness, stress, all that stuff we have at work. How do I like leave that at the garage door and walk in as a dad? Yeah. And that, that is about being present. That's being where your feet are. And that, that is the seat, one of the secrets to life. No, that's absolutely. I certainly appreciate that advice. And, you know, Scott, as you were writing the book, you, you mentioned you're the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. So you're constantly on the go, a lot of long hours, but you still found time to, to write the book and say, kind of going back to your 65%. You were at 23% of your schedule. And so that one, how did you get that extra 42% up to the 65? But also, how'd you find time to keep writing? Yeah, good question. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the, the change in schedule is just like, I literally looked myself in the mirror and I said, okay, I need to either change my WMI. So stop fooling myself and just say like this, these things are not as important as you know, or, um, or I have to change the way I schedule. And so I changed the way I schedule and I, I learned a magic word and it was no. And, uh, it was really hard for me because I, I'm a people pleaser. I love people. I love helping people. Um, I love spending time. And there was one, I mean, I, I remember this specific instance was, um, informational interviews, which I, I stopped doing about, uh, oh boy, six years ago. And, um, and I loved informational interviews, but I just stopped doing them. Yeah. And it's like, how many hours a week? And it's like, my best friend calls like, hey, my son's looking for a job. Can you talk to him? And I was like, well, I'll put him in touch with someone. He's like, no, no can you just talk to him for 15 minutes? I'm like, no, I can't. can't yeah. And that's, that's really hard for me. Hard like, to say no, yeah. It's hard. And, and now I, I don't, you know, I'm, 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 I'm on my uh, year-long walkabout. So I have plenty of time. So I'm, I'm taking those calls now, but I just, I didn't do it. Yeah. And, um, and those are the types of things that I started to eliminate and said like, okay, can I optimize for this business and optimize for my time? Um, 
because time was my constraint. And so, so you have to make tough choices and tough decisions. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I have a, a dear friend of mine, uh, Spencer Holt, who, who said, executive coach, one of the best, if you're ever looking for an executive coach, Spencer Holt, small things make a big difference. But um, he said something which I absolutely love. He said, um, I overestimate what I can do in a day and I underestimate what I can do in a year. And what he's saying there, or the way I, I took it, interpreted it was, yeah, we jam our day, we jam our day, and we go, 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 go. And we got meetings, and then we got this meeting, and then we got a follow-up meeting. I got to make three calls. But if you actually like spit out like a year, 12 months in advance, 18 months in advance, 24 months in advance, 36 months in advance, say, okay, wh- who do I want to be in 36 months? What do I want to have learned? What do I want to have accomplished? What, what do I want to tick off my list? If I want to write a book in 12 months, how much time do I have to put into it each day to make it work? And if you have a, a good time horizon, you do it. Like it's like an hour a day, like no problem. Yep. You know, um, if you try to do that in, in a day or a week or a month, you know, you could, you know, working a full-time job, you just can't do it. But everybody can give up an hour a day yep. and get up an hour earlier. Yep. Um, exactly. So, so I, I think from my perspective, that, that was, you know, it's a long answer to a very short question, but that's how it happened. Absolutely. Well, you know, Scott, starting from the beginning, you grew up in North Jersey and you're one of five siblings. You're a straight A student, president of the student body, president of the local National Honor Society, captain of three sports teams. And you're even featured on ESPN on a show called Scholastic Sports America. So competitive nature, to, to say the least. And however, as much success you were having, you probably had one of your first setbacks in life. You didn't get accepted into many of the universities you had applied for. We ultimately ended up at Villanova. So walk us through that time of your life and, and how you kind of evolved from there. Yeah, that was a pretty dark time. I mean, I have um, I have a daughter in college and I have another one that's starting to apply now. And, um, you know, I, I look back on that time with just an absolute darkness. It's really sad because Villanova is a wonderful university and, and very much shaped the person I am today. Um, and we had an expression in our family growing up, it's bloom where you're planted, which I'm sure you've heard before. Yep. And so that my, my folks are like, just bloom where you're planted. Mm. It's like, you know, the world's not perfect, you know, go do your thing. Um, but yeah, I really struggled. I, I struggled walking down to the, to the mailbox. I mean, this is, you know, a hundred years ago. So there's no like email, quick email. I mean, I'm literally walking down the mailbox, pick up uh, a letter. It's thin. I read it. It's like, I'm sorry to inform you that. You know, and, and that became the routine. And I got into my two safety schools, uh, Villanova and Syracuse, and, and chose Villanova, fortunately. No offense to the, my friends out there and uh, part of the Army <laughs> Nation. Um, and and even, even then, I didn't really know what I was doing. I, like, I drove up to Syracuse. It was snowing. I went to Villanova. It was a nice day. Kids had backpacks yeah, on. Perfect. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was perfect for me. Yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, but but it's it, sometimes, you know, you dump, dumb luck into, into good good news. I, I would say, like, you know, I think my biggest insight for me and, and what I share and pass on with, with not only my children, but those I'm fortunate enough to work with every day is that we're oftentimes in the eye of our own storm. And, and it seems so much worse than it is because, you know, it's like when I got fired at Madison Square Garden, I had this incredible experience at MSG and we built this incredible culture, recruited this incredible team, did the biggest deals in history, put a billion two into this, the world's most famous arena spun the company out into a separately traded public. I mean, it, all in four years, unbelievable. Yeah. And then I get fired and, you know, you're in the eye of your own storm. No one else really knows or cares. I mean, like they read it and like, ah, oh, he's out. All good. And you know, I'm spiraling, you know, it's yeah. like when my daughter sees, 
my 14 year old daughter Eliza, she'll see friends at a, at a party on Instagram. She's not there. And that's her spiral. But we're just like, we don't have a, a relative sense of the world because we put ourselves in on the eye of the storm. And we can actually like, what, what that taught me to do is just step back a little bit and get some perspective. And I, I couldn't see it at the time. Of course, I was too young, too stubborn and too like, um, too overly ambitious, I guess. Uh, but, but looking back, that's like, it's a wonderful lesson to get when you're young because you, you understand when you get older, things are going to happen. Life is so messy. Yeah. And, you know, from the outside, I always laugh because from the outside, um, when you, when you meet someone and they get to know you, they're like, Oh really? I, I thought, I was like, really? You thought everything was perfect. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, you know, you have this incredible job and right. you know, you got this amazing for you. three beautiful daughters and, I was like, yeah, life's so easy, huh? Like, life's not easy. Like, I've been fired. I've run a company into the ground. I've had more struggles than you could possibly imagine. And by the way, I'm not alone. I, I was like, this is like, this is the way of the world. Yep. Um, and it has to be okay. And we have to be okay. I, I mentioned this, this is a line in the book. I, th I think it says something like, um, isolation is, is the new age kryptonite. And I believe that. And I believe that, that there's this, we have this opportunity to, to uh, let me let me tell the story is better, better articulate this way i was uh i went to once i shut down at, at hbsc which was um june 30th uh 21 i left um five days later to head to mozambique to with my daughter my 17 year old daughter kira and we went to go help build a school with 20 other teenagers really cool experience and mozambique is on the eastern southern southeastern tip of of africa boarding on the indian ocean southern tip borders on south africa so we flew into Johannesburg and, and hopped over the border and, and then went to a school site and started working. And, um, and I have no skill, by the way, my, my daughter had better skill than I did. So they put me on like the non, you know, non-skilled job. She's like plastering the walls perfectly and I'm mixing cement. But anyway, I, I got promoted up to like um, <clears throat> wheelbarrowing cement over the work site. And it's pretty simple. Like the cement mixers, I was doing that for a day and then they throw the cement in the wheelbarrow and you're in this big, heavy wheelbarrow. And I hadn't done that since I was 14 years old. And I, I was 14 working on this thing, this pool company, Ted ceramic pools. Anyway. And when I was at 14, I was probably like 80 pounds and I just struggled to just lift it. And then I'd wheel it down this two by four and then I'd tip over and everybody laughed at me. Right. Like but here, I, you know, I was thinking like, you know, I'm, I'm a man, I'm, you know, I got a hundred pounds on that, that young kid at 14, I'll be fine. And, um, and so, you know, you just wheel down this hill and then just make a left and go up the, this little hill. And then you hop up on a, on a sidewalk and then wheel it down and they pick it up into the classroom and blah, blah, blah. And so it's my first time. I'm feeling confident. I, you know, I got my hard hat on and looking <laughs> like Bob the Builder. And I, I roll down this hill and I can't make the turn. I just can't make it. And I know halfway through, like, I'm not going to make it. So the only thing I'm focusing on, yeah, I'm like, do not spill the cement. That's all I'm focusing on. And I get off the two by four and it, it hits into sand. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm like, all of a sudden I just turn into my 14 year old self and I'm just kind of using my thigh and just nudging, nudging this thing forward. It's going about an inch every 10 seconds. And uh, two of the, the teenage gals show, one of them is my daughter, Kira, and, and this other gal, Sophie, come. They're like, hey, you know, my daughter's dad, you need some help? I was like, yeah. Maybe they just pick the wheelbarrow up, put it back in a two by four, and I'm on my way. And I, I think that's a lot like life. I really do. I, I, and that's what I thought about, because I did that for nine hours. Um, and I just thought about, man, how analogous is this? Like, staying on the path, like, whatever that path is for you. Like, um, you know, it's high integrity, hardworking strong family, strong faith, what staying in shape, eat, doing the right thing, you know, making the right decisions, working hard, being successful, whatever is on your path, you know, whatever you think your aspirational path is, that's not an easy path, 
right? right. It's like, I got to work like extra hard just to stay on that path. Yep. And you're like, and you're working and you're working and you're like, you know, I don't want to work out today. Or, you know what? I don't want to do that review today. Or, you know, this project I was working on, not interested in it anymore. Or, you know what? I started writing a book. I'm too tired today. I don't want to write. Or whatever those things are. Or, you know what? I don't want to say my prayers today. Whatever, whatever those things are in your life that keep you on the path, you just say, you know what? I'm going to check out. And then you go off the path. And I got in the sand because it was sandy over there. And like, you think it's hard on the path? Try getting off the path. Yeah. You know, and I'm off the path and I'm like, holy crap. Yep. And, and the first thing I should have done was I should just say, hey, Kira, can you come, come help me out? But I didn't. I'm like pushing it back because that's what we do when we're off the path. Like, right. I got this. I can do it. My mistake. I don't need I'll help. But you know what we need? We need each other. Yep. We need help. Yep. You know, you got to pick up the phone and say, hey, yo, Chaz, I'm struggling today. Right. And you're like, really? Can I help you? Because if I called you, we don't know each other that well. Okay. If I called you and said, hey, I'm having a tough day. You go, hey, what can I do to help you? That's the first thing you would do. Yep. But it's like, but, but those of us that are accustomed to helping people and open to helping people, the last thing we want to do is raise our hand and ask for help. Right. And, and, and COVID times that by a thousand. Yeah. And so we have a lot of people right now that need help. And I, you know, in my, in my simple example, and I have, you know, you might say that it must've been pretty humbling to have two teenage girls put me back in child. I was like, nah, I was thrilled. Yeah. You know, I just wish I'd asked sooner. Yeah. And so, so I think to me that, that is what, that to me is like so analogous to life. And when I go off that track and I'm in that sand, I'm grinding with that big, heavy 180 pound cement wheelbarrow and I'm leaning into it. And I can't, all I have to do is stay back and say, Hey ladies, can you help me? Yeah. I need some help. And so I think that that's a, a, with a lot of us today. No, absolutely. And, you know, kind of going back to, to your Villanova days, you go on to receive a degree in marketing, you break into the sports industry, you start with the Philadelphia Eagles as a sales representative, and you start to become a rising star in that industry. And you talk about the, the path. You kind of got off the path then because you decided to go back and get your master's in business administration from Harvard University. And, but you had that promise for the Eagles to come back. So looking back at your time, you know, as a young rising star, would you do anything different about that? You know about that that timing. I, I mean, I made so many mistakes growing up, and I was fortunate to work for incredible people. I mean, when I was at the Nets, I worked for John Spolster, one of the great executives of our time. I go to the Eagles. I have Jeff Laurie, who's still the you know owns the franchise and had bought it, uh, I guess, eight months earlier, and is one of the great owners of any sports team. Um, and then I had I worked for Len Komorowski, who's been the CEO of the Cavaliers for twenty years. He was he was our you know SVP of sales and marketing. And Joe Banner was the, became the president, wasn't the president at the time I got there, but became the president. So just at the Eagles alone, I had three like world-class executives to, to role model. Like what a gift, yeah. you know, of course you don't, you don't see it or know it at the time, but you're just learning and they're investing in me and my, my future and my time. And I remember Jeff Laurie called me in and he's like, so I understand you got into Harvard. I was like, uh, yes, I did. He said, you're going right. And I was like, well, I hadn't made a decision yet. He goes, it's Harvard Business School. God. <laughs> I was like, I was like, no, 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 no. He's like, look, if you ever want to come back here, you'd be more than welcome. But you're going to go to Harvard. And I was like, yes, that's right. Yeah, yes, I am. <laughs> so, so you don't, you know, it's funny, you know, life, life throws you you uh, a bunch of turns. And, and, uh, and that happened to be a, a wonderful turn. So would I do anything differently? No, I, I love you know, who I am and where I am and, and the experiences I've been through. Would I have done things differently while I was in each of those spots? Of course. I mean, I was making mistakes all the time. But the decision to go to go back to school after your kind of rising star, it, you know, you had the right people, 
you that it starts and stops with the people and you're being yeah. led by the right people that, that gave you the opportunity to come back and, and kind of yeah. helped help make the decision with you. Yeah. It was a funky time because I just started making money. I mean, my wife, um, um, my wife had out earned me every year until she stopped working after we had our first and I was just starting to make a few dollars. So that was kind of different. You know, we we're in like a yep. one bedroom, small um, apartment and I was gutting it out. And finally I'm like, wow, this is, life's pretty good, you know? Yep. Uh, but man, going up there, it, it's a special place. It's different. I mean, I, I think I tell the story in the book, but my first day I, I, I missed orientation because I went skiing because it was a big snowfall, which was the dumbest thing I've done. One of the dumbest, I've done plenty of dumb things. <laughs> That, that was a mistake but i i came back to the first day of school and um you know i'm sitting down next to a woman and she i said hey Sus, you know you're susan we all name tags on us early she's like yeah i was helping restructure the russian economy and i'm like oh crap you know and then i the other guy sitting next to me is like the prince of Liechtenstein. i'm thinking like what am i doing here and i told everybody that i was a popcorn vendor and i went with that for two years so um, <laughs> i was like yeah i was a popcorn vendor it's actually a pretty good business anyway yeah um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, and I ended up being selected by my classmates to speak at graduation. So I, I went from like, what am I doing here to, to, you know, kind of the ultimate honor for me, which was like, Hey, we love you. We want you to represent us um, on graduation day. No, that's awesome. And, you know, post-graduation, you end up, you know, going back to the Eagles, you get promoted to being one of the youngest vice president of sales in the industry and, and had a ton of success. And you're once again doing really well. You're rising and, and you go and, and take a chance, probably a big risk. You decide to start your own company, Hoops TV, which you had mentioned, you know, unfortunately didn't make it. And it kind of set you back in a bit of a tailspin again. So many of our listeners, you know, always think, oh, it'd be awesome to, to you know, create my own company and start my own company, run my own company. So what's your advice and some key learnings from that time? Yeah. Um, well, one, you know, life is a series of experiences and opportunities. And, and um, if you, if you look at the analogy of a roller coaster, you know, sometimes you're, you're on your way up and it's really exciting. And sometimes you're on your way down and, and that's pretty fun. And sometimes you're upside down and that's not so fun. <laughs> and, um, and I, I, I wouldn't be the executive today if I didn't take some of those chances and have those falls um, going to hoops TV. I, I, I didn't, you know, I partnered with Seth Berger, who founded N1, who's a, who's a dear friend still to this day and is now running the, the um, Sixers Innovation Lab and is becoming, you know, and we, we continue to stay, stay as thick as thieves and, and close to friends. Um, but he was still running N1 at the time and uh, very heavily involved in Hoops TV with me. And, um, and we thought we had something big. I mean, we became the number two basketball site in the world, like almost overnight behind NBA.com. And we had this vision to create what became NBA TV, but we were going to do a more cultural, cultural version of that, um, a terrestrial. And it was hard. We raised $15 million and we were essentially out of business in 14 months. I mean, think about that. That's kind of crazy. Um, and then I was out of work, out of luck and out of money. And so I'm like literally getting foreclosure notices on my house and I'm in the tailspin emotionally. And, um, and then I finally pulled it together and ended up, fortunately getting hired thanks to Adam Silver, who's now the commissioner of the NBA. Um, and I worked for Bernie Mullen and worked with Bill Sutton. I mean, it was an un unbelievable job. So the question is like, do I get to the NBA without having this fall? No way. Yeah. There is no way. And that's when my career really started to take off. So, so I don't know. I, I think when one door closes, a couple of doors open. Um, so long as you take care of yourself and, 
you um, are open to opportunity and possibility and that you're a lifelong learner and that you're willing to work hard and then you take care of each other. I, I'd say, if you're listening to this and you're in this business, like look to your left and look to your right, be the good person, take care of people, help others. You're going to wake up one day and all these people that you worked with as a young person, they're all running half the free world. So you pick up a phone like, Hey, I'm in town. You know, it's unbelievable how the world changes. You know, I'm 51 years old now. And I know a lot of people in this business um, and, and I've, I've helped a lot of them and a lot of them have helped me. And I've, they're all friends. They're not colleagues. They're not like coworkers. They're my best friends in the world. And it, it's really nice to have that, that group of people. And so if you're young in your career, just be the, be a good person, help others, serve others, you know, do, do yourself a favor. If something's working, let everybody else know. Like, it's not like, you're not racing against anybody else. You're just racing against yourself. And so for, for me, that was a, it was a rough experience. Cause I learned, it was like the opposite of WMI. Like I had this vision of what a president of a company was, and that's what I was trying to do everything but my job. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Scott O'Neill, sports business and industry executive. And Scott, you mentioned you took some bumps, but then you received that call and opportunity with, with Adam Silver and certainly along some of our other 52 Weeks of Hustle guests and Dr. Bernie Mullen, Dr. Bill Sutton, Lou DePauly, just to name a few. As you go on to work at the league office in Teambo, and, and certainly many of our consistent listeners know the role and the amount of travel and meeting with owners and some of the best industry execs. And so as you think back on the time, you just mentioned a lot of those have become best friends of yours. What stood out from a characteristic standpoint in some of the most successful people that you were meeting with? Well, you know, what a, what a time. I mean, you mentioned some of the some of the greats, those three, Lou and Bill and Bernie. Um for me, it's also Paul Mott and Chris Granger and Chris Heck and Amy Brooks and Dan Reed and Aaron Ryan. I mean, it, it's a it's a who's who superstar list of talent. And so first off, Tom Glick, I mean, you got he's running the Panthers. Granger just left the CEO of the um, Red Wings and Tigers is now running OVG and Heck's the president of the Sixers. And Amy Brooks, president of the NBA. Dan Reed's president of the Facebook Sports Network. Like it's. Aaron Ryan is uh, overtime. Overtime. It's like it's a that is a who's who who superstar MVP type list. And so first off, just to come into an office where you're learning from the best people in the world every day is pretty cool. 
Yeah. Um, secondly, you know, I mean, Tom Wilson was at Detroit, who I thought was like, he was one of my heroes growing up in the business, um, uh, being able to sit with him and understand his philosophy on tickets, um, spending time with Len Komorowski, who I worked for, um, who was then at the Cavaliers. I think he's one of the most strategic minds in the world. Tad Brown became a good friend. He took, took my role over at HBSC, was at the Rockets. I mean, talk about a guy who knows how to manage an organization. Uh, boy, I mean, I could go on and on. Eric Woolworth in Miami, just like understanding culture, just how do you build a wonderful world-class culture and how they build a brand. Rick Welts, I think, is one of the greats of all time in Golden State and Phoenix before that. So, I mean, I had the chance. I'm missing some, a ton of guys, but like um, – I mean, it's a PhD in sports. That's what Timbo is. I mean, you is that way the who's who. No, you. I mean, I, I worked with them, and then to get to work with the the presidents. All by the way, all the way down to the receptionists, right? All the way through to the CFOs and the controllers and the and the general counsels and the heads of sales and the heads of sponsorship and marketing. And I mean, and you, you just like I was just a sponge. I wanted to see how people thought, um, how they built businesses, how they engaged each other what a culture how do you build a culture how do you run meetings you know i, I was a young executive just just learning and listening and it was easy for me at the time steve shamald in, in um in chicago is another one great 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 alex martin's in in orlando um wick rouse um wick rouse beck and and uh, rich gotham in boston unbelievable so like you just so for me like to be able to just learn and learn and learn and just go to them and say, Hey, I was just in um, Chicago and let me just tell you what they're doing. I think it's really amazing. And they're like, well, we're doing this. I was like, yeah, no, I'll take that. You know, now, now I have two ideas. Now you have I'm a couple take ideas those to yep. Phoenix and then I get something from Phoenix. And I was like, okay, now I have three ideas. And so it became a, a pretty cool uh, way to spread information. And, um, and we started to build a best practice library that you could tap into from the road, which became a great resource for sponsor activation. And when I, when I said, we, I remember, we had this issue where um, some teams didn't want to participate. And, um, and I said, Hey, like, you know, you're giving Anheuser-Busch the advantage now. They're like, well, how, how do you say that? Well, I said, well, they've negotiated 500 contracts. You've negotiated one. So all I want to do is give you data on other, other 29. So then it's a fair fight. Yeah. Like that's all I'm saying. And, and right. I'm not saying like sharing confidential information or stuff. You send NDA, of course that's, that's protected. Yeah, that but like, why would we share our promotions with each other like so we can get more creative why aren't we building we're not competing like in phoenix you're not competing against the jazz you're just not right, right. in phoenix you're competing against the diamondbacks and the coyote coyotes and the cardinals that that's that's what you're doing so so i i think from you know it, it, it took a bit to catch on but at the end of the day we were just there to a, another resource to help spread the incredible work done by the teams Absolutely. And, you know, during your time there, you end up overseeing all of Team Bow, and it's a big time in the NBA and the building of the global brand. And the late, great David Stern was leading the charge. And I know you talked about him several times in your book about him certainly being aggressive, but also proactive. Looking back, if there's one piece of advice you learned from him, what was that? Probably the relentless pursuit of perfection. Um, he was a very demanding, very difficult um, guy. I mean, he wanted everything perfect all the time. And I, I didn't, when I was young, I didn't really understand what that actually meant. And, and it meant that everything had to be perfect and double checked and triple checked. And, and that completely shaped how I view an event today, um, how I manage a meeting today, how I run a company today. So, um, and, and I, I, you know, it's not healthy. I mean, if you have children, it's not healthy 
to have them want to be perfect. And as an executive, it's not healthy. Um, but it's the pursuit of that. That's really healthy. You know, you set that bar really high then you just raise it again. Then you hit it, you raise it again. And it's pretty, pretty, uh, you know, that, that philosophy on, on getting things right all the time was, was, was stay, stay, will stay with me forever. No, absolutely. Don't be content being good or great. Continue to push to be elite. So, so absolutely. We used to great say, advice. Especially we used to say very good isn't good enough, which I yeah. like. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And so, you know, Scott, as you're going through Team Bo and building something really good that, that obviously is very sustainable now, you're growing up, you're around New York, you get the opportunity to land your dream job as the president of, of Madison Square Garden with the Knicks, Rangers and Liberty. And, you know, you kind of talked about the transformation of the most famous arena with a one point two billion dollar renovation. But you also continue to grow the business. And so what do you feel like you and the team were doing you know, over those years on such a consistent basis to continue to deliver great results you know, from a business perspective? You know, I always, I always said that if, if you could um, put talent and culture around a big time world class brand, there's nothing that could stop you. That, I, I always had that in my head while I was at the NBA. And then I get to Madison Square Garden and, I, and I'm still 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 close to Jim Dolan and, and uh, several of the troops there. Um, all good friends. And and that's what we had. We had the biggest brand in the world. Yep. And all we had to do was attract world class talent. And we did. And it was a party. It was so fun because um, there is nobody in the world that wouldn't take your call. And there is nobody in the world that didn't want to dream big about doing something incredible. What, what, what the, what the one couple of things I regret there is like, you know, there were three deals I brought to the table that I, I was, again, it's like, I'm young, you know, I was 38, 37. And, um, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have the, some of the battle scars. I didn't, I didn't have the wherewithal. I had never played at that, that level before. I hadn't built a big company before I hadn't, you know, and so I was stubborn, you know, and insistent and, and, um, and I was so focused on being right. You know, sometimes I lost my, my ability to be effective there. And, um, but I remember, you know, it was about three weeks into my, my gig there and, and the guys from legends, you know, I'm Chad Estes and, yep. and um, Jerry Jones, Jr. And Steven Jones and friends of mine, uh, they were, they were forming legends. And, um, and I called them. I was like, Hey, what are you guys working on? I was like, wow, wouldn't it be great? Yankees, Cowboys, massive regard. Can you imagine that combo, you know? And my boss at the time, Hank Radner turned it down and, um, you know, I think they, their recent transaction was at like a billion two recently. That's $400 million turndown. Yeah. You know, you just say like, man, could you imagine if I had, if I was, if I could better package, if I could better sell, if I had better, you know, it could, could, could I figure out a way to have done that more effectively? Of course. You know, yep. I mean, we had, I was with Bernie Eccleston. I mean, just to, to know like the, the former um, king of, of Formula One. Uh, about a race and, and we, we, we spent a lot of time on it built built a track a new york formula race can you imagine can you even yeah. um that? like that be would crazy. put my game no i'll be insane so i you know i probably spent six nine months on that with a, with a team of people and I, I couldn't get it through you know so that was that was hank and didn't uh think it was it was the, the way to do it and i just think you know you, know, you can spend all your time blaming your boss or you can you know spend time thinking about like okay like what could I have done differently to make, to bring him in a loop sooner or to get him better educated or to, to tighten up the financials in a way that, that this is a win because that was a win, you know, and those are, those are two and a half, I have a dozen more. Really? I think there's, 
you know, there was great opportunity there because you could think big and dream bigger. Um, and you had the platform and you're in the greatest city in the world and you're around the greatest executives in the history of the world, you know, and you're in the financial capital of the world and the media capital of the world. And so it's just about, you know, what, what do you want to be? Who do you want to? Um, so that was, you know, that was an incredible experience. Yeah. And, uh, and I learned a lot. I, I was humble, humble for sure. Yep. Um, and I earned everything I got both good and bad there. And I, 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 I sometimes look back on those days as like some of my fondest because I was in New York. Um, you know, I, I give you like a kind of like a fanboy story. It's like my, I have a long time assistant. I worked with her for 20 years, Denise Krieg. And she said, um, Hey, Jack Welsh was on the phone. And I was like, say what? <laughs> he's like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, uh, Jack Welsh is on the phone. I'm like the Jack Welsh. She's like, I don't know. I says Jack Welsh. I'm like, put, put that one through, you know? Yeah. yeah I'll take that one. Yeah, yeah. And, and here's a guy like, you know, most people grew up and, and their hero was, you know, Dr. J or Michael Jordan and, and mine was Jack Welch, you know, and, and so he was calling for a favor for tickets for his friend or something, but it's somewhat irrelevant. But like, that's that, you know, that platform, that perch is like insane. Yeah. And so I, I don't, again, you know, I go back to, you know, they say youth is wasted on the youth. And, um, and in many cases, I was just about 10 years young to handle that type of platform. And to be able to like really grow, like we did incredible things. I worked with amazing people. I loved what we built. I love the culture we built. I love the progress we made, the deals we did. Um, but it was, it was hard. It's hard living, it was, you know, a lot of angst ridden days and nights. And, and, you know, there it's not like other arenas. Like that thing is, it's rarely dark. I mean, we had, yeah. we had this expression, which I love. I didn't even know what it meant when I first got there. Uh, there's like, Hey, we have five holds on that day. I'm like, what, what does that mean? <laughs> well, five people want to book. I was like, there are five events that want to book on the same day. Yeah. It's five holes. It's a five hole day. And that wasn't out of the ordinary. You know, every day it was like five hole, four hole, three hole. Like it was a two hole day. I'm like, why is it so light? Well, yeah. What's going on here <laughs> in August, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can. So it was, a, it's a different world and, uh, and a wonderful place filled with incredible people. No, that's awesome. Well, Scott, I know both in your book and your life, you talk a lot about the value of showing and sharing your vulnerability. And you talked about some setbacks and kicks in the teeth and you, you end up receiving one there at MSG. And, and as an industry executive like yourself, you don't stay long, down long as you take the next opportunity as the CEO of the, the 76ers and Devils. And I know several times here, you've talked about culture and the value of people. So for all the listeners out there, what's your advice to them on finding ways to continue to build a successful culture, no matter what role they play in the organization? Yes, it's such an interesting way you phrase that question. Um, I have, I had this, you know, this, this is, it historically has not been a business that, that rewards or pays off on culture or development or people. Um, when I first got into business, you know, I remember I, my first job as an assistant, marketing assistant, it was like, I remember 15 grand a year, no overtime, no vacation, no benefits. I'm like, I'm sure that's illegal today, but, um, <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, you're just lucky to have a job. Like you're welcome, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's changed because the business has gotten a lot bigger and, you know, that, that organization was probably worth, I don't know, $10 million. And now you, you know, it's $2 billion properties. So, so business has gotten bigger. Um, the importance of building culture and attracting talent's gotten gotten um, certainly a higher platform. For for me, I've always tried to create a culture within the culture, no matter where I was. Meaning, um, 
the people that were in arm's length, either I worked with, I worked for, or we worked very closely. Uh, I did everything I can to make sure that they knew who I was um, as a human being, that they knew that I loved them. I know people don't like to use the word love at work, but I do. Um, Cause I always say, you don't have to like them, but you have to love them, you know? Um, meaning like you, I catch you before you fall. I will take care of you. It's like your brother or your sister. Like you don't always love them, but you don't always want to like them, but you always love them. Like, yep. uh, so I, that's the philosophy. And then I was, um, when people talk about culture, the, the, the first, you know, people think it's the soft stuff, you know, even in business school, they're like, well, that's a, those are soft skills. I'm like, no, no, not soft skills. Like, because you have a culture, your culture can be about accountability. Yep. Your culture can be about excellence. You know, you, you decide what your culture is. We, we always talk about, I got this from the great Hugh Weber, who I've worked with for, eight years and it's been a friend for 20. He always defined culture, which I've stolen and made my own, but as, um, as what you celebrate and what you tolerate. And I, I love, I love that definition because, you know, if you have a, a woman and she's your number one salesperson and she's a total jerk and you hold her up at every sales meeting, like, Hey, look, at, look at Jenny. Yeah. She's the best. This is why we have the best, but she's a terrible teammate. Well, you know what? You're tolerating a person who's a terrible teammate and you're celebrating her. And I'm not judging whether that's good or bad. I'm not like that's you have to decide what kind of culture you want. Cause if you're just about sales all the time and then, then that's the culture you want and that's the culture you get. Cause you celebrate and tolerate it. Um, where if you have, if, if Jenny's sister, Tammy is um, the nicest person in the world, can't sell a thing. Right. Nicest person, just sweet to everybody. And you're like, Hey, how wonderful is Tammy? You know, she's just the best. So now like in both those examples, again, you have to decide what you want. Um, I, I wouldn't want either of those cultures personally, you know, um, I, I like a culture of accountability. I like a culture of hard work. I like a culture of intellectual curiosity. I like a, a culture where you develop talent, develop people like the whole self, mind, body, soul type development. And so that's what I pay off on. In other words, that's what I celebrate. Um, and I don't tolerate anything less than that. So I, I, I think that if you, you know, you have to, when you're young and coming up through the pipeline, like you don't have a lot of influence in the overall culture, but you can decide the way you want to be, the way you want to live. And if you're managing people and you're fortunate enough to be in a role of managed people, you can create an environment that you want to create that's uplifting and positive and connected. And we've seen that, in, you know, as I've consulted with over 60 businesses um, around the world in sports, it's like you'll find the pockets that are work, working really, really well. You know why they're working well? Because they've got a manager who cares is focused on his people, is clear in his priorities, provides feedback, lays out expectations, and, and has extraordinary performance. It's not an accident. It's the same people every time. And so, you know, I always said, like, when I was in, you know, I was coming up through the ranks, I'm like, man, can you imagine you hand me the keys? We could do this for a whole organization. Can you imagine what would happen? Yeah. What happened at HBSC? We created $2 billion in value in eight years. Yep. And so that's what you get, you know, at MSG. It's four short years, but man, oh, man. The work we did in those four years would trump anything I've done in my life. Yeah. And so I, I, I think that I'm, I'm a huge believer in, in talent and character and culture and, and leveraging an organization to do extraordinary things. And, and today's young people coming through this next generation, which I've absolutely fallen in love with, like they also hold you accountable. Like they, they have this group. They want to see you as the executive. They're looking at you like, okay, Mr. Executive, all right, Mr. Big Shot. Like, what do you stand for? What do you believe in? What are you doing to make the world better? And by the way, if you're not, I'm just going to leave. I don't even have another job, but I'm out. I don't have a car. I don't have a house. Like, 
I'm good. I'm going to walk out the door. Um, and then, and then, and then you, you know, what's the organization going to do? Like how committed are you to helping the world? I love that challenge. I really do. I mean, that, that to me is like, is pitting you against yourself and you're just saying, okay, let's, you, you know, you think culture is important. You think changing the world and making an impact through sports is important. Show me. I love, I love this group. They'll work hard. They're smart. They're connected. They understand their brand and they hold you accountable. I mean, life is good with this new group, but like the world is in very good hands with this next gen. Absolutely. You know, throughout your eight years there as CEO, you and the team set many records and, and it certainly started with people. You guys have a, a ton of great people there at the organization that you've grown and built and, and hired and it went on to do bigger and better things. And you talked about the creation of that and you recently stepped down as the CEO and it's now it's on to the next venture. And I realized this podcast would certainly take off if, if I'm the first person you'd share what's next for you. But most importantly, as you are thinking about what is next, what are those keys that you're always looking for? Yeah, well, life, you know, the, that continues to evolve. Like when I was um, young in my career, I knew the type of organization I wanted to work for and I knew the type of person I wanted to work for. Um, <clears throat> I also, you know, it was when I was very, very young, I knew that my boss needed to leave me alone and give me a goal and get out of my way. And when I became a manager for the first time, I treated everybody like that. And that didn't go so well. You know, a third of the group did amazing <clears throat> and two thirds didn't. And so, so I, I've definitely learned over time that um, <clears throat> as a manager, you need to make sure you understand what each person needs. Like it's, it's no longer one size fits all. You know, if you're a, a, a crazy screamer, um, that's probably not going to work today. If you're, you know, always analytical and to yourself and that's probably not going to work today if you're a rah-rah guy all the time it's probably not going to work today yeah. you have to be very very flexible and malleable in terms of how you talk and when you talk and you just need more tools in, in the toolbox um, in terms of what i'm looking for is i um you know i'm at the phase and stage in my life where um i continue to want to grow and learn um i know i'm a builder i'm not a good farmer so um I remember one of my daughters saying to me, hey, dad, she's a young, young kid. She's like, dad, um, how come your teams never win? I was like, honey, the Golden State Warriors are not calling your dad. Dad, I promise you. <laughs> you know? And it, it, it was fun. Like, I, I do. I like action. I like change. I like turnarounds. I like building and growing. Yep. I think what we were able to do at, at MSG and what we we're able to do at HBSC are very different. Um, but they all have the same characteristics. I was around people and worked for people that, that loved growth. And, and for me, I'm definitely going to, going to build something big. Um, so I know I want scale. Um, I know I want to be around big brands. I know I want to acquire companies. Um, but at the end of the day, I know my skill set is around building teams and, um, creating an environment where people can be really successful. So, um, so I, I that's a really wide way of saying like, I'm probably going to go out, raise some money and, and build a big company. That's what I like to do. No, that's awesome. Can't, can't wait to see what you're doing and you know, you're going to be successful. And you know, Scott, it certainly takes a competitive mindset to have as much success as you have had, but I know that's, you know, everything in your life. And I remember one time years ago, you always love a good pickup game of basketball. And I think, unfortunately I had the opportunity to go guard you and you're the one that no matter what, 
it was, you know, is that a league meeting 6am basketball, you're given 110%, but you're also a great team player. So in addition to that, you, you've talked a lot about the importance of your family, your, your wife, your three daughters. And so, you know, as you think about, you know, the motivation on a consistent basis, and you talk a lot about that in your book, you've had a tremendous career, both personally and professionally, and you've won so many awards and one of the most respected industry executives, what are you most proud of? Boy, I think I'm most proud of um, my, my home, my marriage um, to my wife, Lisa, um, and, and my girls that I'm raising, or my wife's raising, or we're raising together. <laughs> Depending on the day, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, but it's nice. It's, um, you know, look, I, I was raised by a really strong woman. I married a ridiculously strong woman and I'm raising some women who who put you know who would be on that strength meter even to the right of, of those <laughs> my whole life and I've gotten to work with some strong women so I I'm I'm very much a feminist and very much a girl power dad and um and and love the notion of three young women uh, with with my DNA out in the world uh, making a difference um, when I see my oldest daughter spending a summer at a Syrian refugee camp in Athens, that makes me happy and proud. When I see a daughter living in a dirt floor um, in Zambia tent and working with orphans for summer, that makes me proud. When I see a daughter go to Mozambique or, or Georgia and, and give their summer to go serve others, that's the kind of stuff that as a dad, there's nothing quite like it. You know, I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm really proud of them in terms of the, like awards and stuff, you know, I, I always tucked them away. I just brought them home because, you know, I cleared out my offices and one of my daughters has helped me like put them downstairs. And she's like, what are all these things? So it's, it's not something I really, you know, it's yeah. not that I don't value them because I, I appreciate recognition. I do. I, I appreciate recognition. I think it's wonderful. And, um, but I'm, I'm much more interested in, you know, people that I worked with, you know, in some cases they worked for me. Um, that are doing extraordinary things like that. That's what I jumps for. Like how many, you know, I always thought like there were like somewhere between 15 and 18 people at HBSC that would go on to run companies. Like confident. I know who they are. They know who they are. And, um, and that to me was like, that's my greatest joy. You, you know, you see somebody pop up and do something special or a birdie flies out of the nest and they run a big company. That, that is my greatest pride and joy that I have in, 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 in on the work side of life. No, that's awesome. Well, Scott, this has been tremendous, an amazing career. To close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready let's for this? Let's do it. Yeah, All let's right. go. If a movie was made about you, what actor would you like to play yourself? I, um, Jamie Foxx. All right. What is your favorite item you've purchased this year? I just bought a new car. All right. Nice. You're going to go sail around the world. What's the name of your boat? Boat. Why is that? You know, it's, it's kind of ironic. I was just on a houseboat in, in uh, Lake Powell. Uh, Scott Cutler, a good friend of mine, he runs StockX. And the name of his houseboat is Houseboat. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so I think I'd name it Boat. There, yeah. it's awesome. Well, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to hopefully be in your shoes one day? Find your authentic self being an extraordinary teammate and be where your feet are. 
Nice. I love it. You know, to your point, you've said that the entire pod- podcast, be authentic, be in that great team player. Good things happen to good people and, and be where your feet are. Scott, thank you so much. What an amazing career you've had and certainly more of an amazing person. Please be sure to read his newest book, Be Where Your Feet Are. Scott, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate your time and expertise. Hey, I, I spent 52 weeks of hustle for a long time, and I'm taking a little break right now. But I'll be back hustling soon. <laughs> I know you will. I know you will. Well, again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. 